You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. We are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Senior Contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to, first of all, welcoming you to spring, but also welcoming you to our official 2019 predictions podcast of uh, the Smoke Signals podcast. So, very exciting to uh, get into some of these predictions and season previews as uh, the Major League season is upon us. Uh, We're about a week or so away from... uh, Camp's breaking in Arizona, and uh, the tribe will be heading north and up to Minnesota to begin their 2019 season. And joining me, as always, to discuss the uh, Indians heading into the season and uh, uh, lock in on their predictions as well is uh, uh, Editor-in-Chief for IBI, Justin Lada. Justin, how's it going? Good. I still haven't received my contract extension yet, but I'm just waiting (laughs) like all the rest of the baseball players. (laughs) Oh my goodness! They were handing them out like candy today. Uh, they, it, well, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, uh, Blake Snell, and there's a few more that I can't even <laughs> think of right now. But, Mike uh, Trout. <laughs> Mike. Oh, of course, Mike Trout, uh, <laughs> Eloy, Eloy Jimenez, and all those guys. Uh, also joining us is uh, IBI contributor Corey Christen. Corey, how's it going? I'm just hoping my minor league contract gets selected so I can actually get paid. Um, I'm doing great. Imagine going from Arizona to Minnesota to play baseball. That's what the Cleveland Indians are doing to start the season. So enjoy from going from 70 degrees to 40 degrees, guys. Uh, it's good to be back, and the season's here, and always a great time of the year. March, spring, college hoops, tournament. Baseball, spring training, the regular season starting, always a great time of the year. Yeah, we'll save the uh, the uh, annual uh, complaining about the schedule, the MLB schedule for another time, but uh, yeah. Yeah, this, it does seem odd that they're starting out. The, the first three places that they're start playing this this season are uh, Minnesota, <laughs> Cleveland, and Detroit, so I'll just leave it at that. So well, until I, the end of April, like last year, we complained about like five or six rainouts in April. That's right. true. So anyway, how many, many months about rainouts for last year? How oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head, but the fact that they got Miami and Atlanta back to back at home at the end of April is ludicrous to me. But like it's I said, Toronto at home. It's Toronto. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Okay, we will go too deep in that because we can go a while on that, but. uh Let's just get right into this because we got so much to cover uh, heading into the season as spring training wraps up. Uh, first of all, how about the Indians uh, signing former All-Stars Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez to minor league deals since last we spoke? Um, the two of them uh, getting a little up there in age. Uh, they're at least one or two years removed from, from their peak years and... You know, both of them could have some potential to bounce back with the Indians, which is why they saw them as an investment. But then again, you know, they're both minor league deals, so obviously baseball is not thinking as highly of them as they did as it did in the past. And you know, maybe this could be a—is this a symptom of the 
uh, slow-moving free agent market where guys like Craig Kimbrell are still out there, uh, an all-star closer, or is it true, truly uh, just limited to them being you know, past their prime at this point. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez coming to Cleveland? And first of all, and do you think one or both of them has a shot of making it, not only making a team, but also making an impact? Uh, Justin, I'll start with you. Yeah, the Hanley Ramirez thing was really weird, and it's still kind of weird, and it's hard to judge on this early on because it's only a few spring training at bats. So you have no idea if they're facing, like, good competition. I will say that the few at-bats I've seen him take in games, he has not hit the ball hard. So I don't know. He hit lefties really well last year, so I guess there's a spot for that. Um, other than that, it's hard to see a fit for him because he's just a DH. He doesn't play a position. Are they really going to do that again after they got rid of Encarnacion for kind of that reason? I think Gonzalez will probably make it at some point unless he's awful in, in Columbus when he starts there, but you know, getting into outfield, there's more of a direct fit for him than there is Hamley Ramirez because Hamley Ramirez is like really a niche roster fit. So I don't know how that's going to turn out. I think his opt out is Saturday. I guess we're going to find out pretty fast. But I have more faith, oddly enough, that Gonzalez is going to be a contributor than I do Hamley Ramirez. And I say that as someone who does not like ex Rockies hitters because their value gets inflated at course field so much. Well, looking at the both their stats. I mean, Hanley is a guy who was t- two years ago was a three-win player, but since then he's been in the negative war, uh, both last season and in uh, 2017. That's why the uh, Red Sox ended up cutting him, and he spent the rest of the season uh, working his way back, trying to, you know, take some time off, uh, do some soul surging, and also try to work himself back into a uh, good enough playing shape to for the off season to get a deal, which obviously he didn't get probably the kind of deal he was expecting, but he's gotten a chance with the tribe and he's hoping to prove himself here. Carlos Gonzalez, on the other hand, 1.7 war player last year. Um, 2017, he was a negative 0.1 war, but the previous two years, 2.6 and 2.8 in 2016 and 2015. So, you know, that he's, obviously been more valuable uh, in more recent uh, years and more, been more consistently valuable. He's 33, so he's he's on the older side of the of the spectrum, but he's not, like, he's, he's not, uh, like, beyond uh, beyond the point where he could still be, where he can't be as valuable as he once was anymore. He still can uh, produce if given the chance. Uh it's just a question of whether or not he can do it like uh like Justin said, can he do it away from Coors Field and that that obvious uh, effect that it has on a lot of hitters and a lot of uh a lot of the offense that takes place uh up there in the Rocky Mountains. So uh Corey, what are your thoughts on, on these two deals and do you think that one or the other could be more impactful for the tribe? I think with Hanley Ramirez you have somebody that is looking for that bounce back year. He really didn't live up to anything that the Red Sox hoped he would be. So given what the Indians kind of have as far as depth is concerned, he's going to DH most likely, I would think. Not, I don't know about every day, but I think he would be in that lineup frequently given now you can play Carlos Santana at first base daily. You can play Jake Bowers in left field daily. 
And with along with the signing of Carlos Gonzalez, you can play him in right field quite often as well. So I don't know if Hanley Ramirez is going to be the old Hanley Ramirez. It, quite honestly, the same with Carlos Gonzalez, if he could be the quote-unquote old Carlos Gonzalez. But if Hanley can be serviceable, any minor league deal, if it pans out the way that we've seen Rajai Davis pan out, and we've seen, to an extent, Coco Chris pan out a few years back, and that we've seen guys like Neil Ramirez in the bullpen pan out, then it looks good, and the Indians have an MO for doing this, and they've had some relative success with it. Cargo's an interesting one to me, because we've been screaming on top of Mount Everest and Mount Vesuvius and Mount Kilimanjaro that the Indians need outfield help, and it's a minor league deal once again. I'm not going to try to bash the Indians for trying this out. If Carlos Gonzalez can be anything close to, I'm not asking him to be 2016 Carlos Gonzalez, and that was his that was his most recent year of success. He was an All Star. He hit 298, 25 home runs, 100 RBIs. I'm not asking for 25 and 100, but anywhere around 15 home runs, maybe 75 RBIs. For the value of that contract, I don't see a problem with that. Quite honestly, if you look at Carlos Gonzalez as a whole, he hasn't really been the same since 2014 where he missed half a season. Before that, he was an MVP candidate. He he had a batting title. He had 336 back in 2010, 2012, 2013. He was an all-star, and then he missed half a season in 2014. Kind of came back in 2016, hit 298. And he had 276 last year. And there's more metrics to get into, obviously. But what I mean is, if he can be anything close to that 276 mark, um, last year he hit, what, 16 home runs, 64 RBIs? Maybe increase the RBI total, maybe draw a few more walks. I think it could be a good value signing that can help bridge some gaps that the Indians are hoping to fill later on, be it Bradley Zimmer coming back from injury or being Oscar Mercado being ready from AAA, that seems to be a hot commodity right now, is Oscar Mercado. And then who knows if that bridges them to get to the trade deadline. And we know what Chris Antonetti said back in January, basically about the Indians kind of feeling out whether they can be a prime, supreme World Series contender, or if they're a contender for the you know the postseason, they're going to, be on track to win the central. Do they need to make a move for an outfielder then? This gives them a good bridge and a good setup to make that kind of a move before the trade deadline if they need to. Yeah, I would say that uh, if I were to pick between the two, that Carlos Gonzalez would obviously be the more, uh, on paper at least, impactful player for the Indians, only because he he's a little bit younger. Uh, he has that upside that, that more recent upside, and he can still play a position. I think that goes a long way uh, as well as far as playing a position. Now, he's not great in the outfield. He's av- he's about average, maybe a tick below average in the outfield, and I don't know if the Indians intend on playing him out there every day if he were to make the team or if he's going to uh, DH, say, if Hanley doesn't make the team. Um, I don't know what the plan is at this point, but... I do believe that uh, of the two that right of right now that Carlos Gonzalez probably has the best chance of making an impact. Now the the one uh, caveat to that is that is he going to be ready for the season because he signed so late um, and 
he's only going to get about probably a little less than two weeks worth of training in and, and preparation in before the season starts. Now, do the Indians uh, try to break camp with him, or do they keep him in uh, Arizona for an extra week just to continue to get his legs under him and maybe have him come back, say, when the Indians open up their their season at home? Uh, that's That would be my main question and main concern at this point, is if he's going to be ready by the time uh, the season begins. But if I were to pick between the two based on numbers, based on track record and recent track record, and then just uh, their overall player profile, I think that uh, Carlos Gonzalez better fits the bill and what the Indians need. Um, especially because I think that uh, they like the idea of having some flexibility in that DH spot. I think that getting rid of uh, Edwin Encarnacion, while he was an impactful hitter for the Indians, I think that uh, get, freeing up that DH spot uh, opens up a lot of possibilities for them on the uh, on the roster and in the everyday lineup as they can rotate guys in and out, keep guys fresh by DHing them, give them kind of semi uh, days off. Those, those kind of things. I think that that's something that they really like and would like to try to maintain. Now, if they feel that Hanley is a guy who can be a productive hitter for them, they may try him out for a little bit and see how it works. But at this point, I don't see if I don't see Hanley making the team more than I see Carlos Gonzalez making the team. Maybe they both do. Who knows? But I think it's one or the other at this point. I think Gonzalez has the better shot right now. But yeah, like I said, it has to do with uh, him being ready for the season. Um, some other uh, moves that the Indians made, some key cuts. Uh, they cut a few uh, veterans who kind of surprisingly didn't make the team. Uh, Ryan Flaherty, Alex Wilson, Matt Joyce, and Justin Grimm, who I think all but Justin Grimm at this point have opted for free agency. So it's going to be interesting to see what how the roster shapes up now because we had Ryan Flaherty who I had pegged as making the team once Lindor got hurt because I thought him and Max Moroff were going to be the uh, the uh, filling guys at shortstop with the other being on the bench and then uh, Alex after uh, the pectoral strain for uh, uh, Tyler Clippard I thought Alex Wilson and Justin Grimm both had a shot at making the team and Neither turns out neither one of them will, which I think is probably a ringing endorsement of uh, of John Edwards more than it is anything else. And we'll discuss more of how the in- bullpen is impacted by these cuts and how it's shaping up a little later. But and then Matt Joyce, I thought that was a interesting under the radar signing, and I thought that he might have had a chance to make an impact. But I know he didn't have a great spring and. They just said that, look, it's not going to work out, and he eventually opted for free agency again. So uh, a couple of moves that I wasn't sure if – why they – I wasn't quite sure why they decided not to uh, keep some of these guys. But in the end, it's – all these guys are gone, and they're not going to be on the Cleveland Indians this year. So, uh, Corey, what are your thoughts on some of these uh, these cuts here? And did you think that any one of these guys deserved more of a look than they got? When we, when we talked about the Indians offseason in our last podcast, we discussed the bullpen options, the um, minor league signees for the bullpen. So I'm looking right now at Wilson and Grimm. I thought 
either of those two had a really, really decent shot of making the Indians bullpen kind of as that final reliever. Um, obviously, Terry Francona and the Indians have other plans along with guys like Whit- Nick Whitgren and um, John Edwards. So we'll see what happens with that. But when I think of Grimm and Wilson, I thought Grimm was, you know, kind of in the case of Carlos Gonzalez. I know he was an integral piece of the Chicago Cubs in their World Series run a couple of years ago. And how far off is he from that production, from that season? Um, I'm not saying he would have been the same pitcher he was in 2016. I'm not saying Cargo's the same outfielder he was going to be in 2016. But if Grimm could have been anything close to it, it would have been a real interesting piece to have in that bullpen. Um, Wilson, although I'm not surprised he didn't uh, make the cut, if you will, I I thought he would get more of a look to kind of answer your question there, Jake. I thought thought Wilson would get a little bit more of a look, but – the Indians are kind of convicted, it seems like now, on who their final relievers are that are going to make this major league roster. And quite honestly, this kind of indicates that they were pretty settled on it all along, provided they didn't have catastrophic springs, a la Matt Joyce on the hitting side, who just absolutely, he didn't do anything. Let's be blunt, this spring training. So... Yeah, if there was anybody, I thought Grimm had a really good shot. But like you said, he hasn't opted for free agency yet. So I wonder if he'll accept an assignment to Columbus and kind of be that next man up. I wonder what, what's working in store for him right now. Yeah, and it's, what's interesting to me is how uh, Tyler Clifford fits in, into all of this because he's out for three weeks. He'll be out until probably mid to late April, I would I would guess. They signed him to uh, another minor league deal so he could have a May 1st opt-out. This is a guy, when I saw that they were able to pick him up for the, on a minor league deal, I thought that, okay, this would be a, a good move, uh, possibly to bring him in as a setup man for Brad Hand. And, um, yeah, that's what I thought that when, I, when he got hurt, I saw that, uh, the guys that were still in camp, and I thought that Justin Grimm and Alex Wilson both had a shot. I think Grimm might have been the best uh, option as far as uh, late innings go. I'm not saying that he would have been uh, a shutdown guy, uh, Andrew Miller, been able to replace an Andrew Miller or Cody Allen, but I'm not saying that uh, Tyler Clipper can replace those guys either. But uh, I think that when you go look at the bullpen now, you jump from Brad Hand to your setup man is you essentially have two guys ma- matchup guys a right-handed matchup guy and a left-handed matchup guy and Adam Simber and Oliver Perez essentially is your setup uh late inning guys and it's i mean you can throw a Neil Ramirez and Dan Otero Tyler Olson in there as well it's it's not a great situation so that's why it kind of uh surprised me to see Justin Grimm and Alex Wilson both get cut and now Maybe they're just going to try to ride it out and see what happens when Clippers ready to come back, but uh, I don't know. Uh, this this bullpen right now, the closer role is set, and I like guys like Olsen and Otero and uh, Ed, even Edwards in the uh, middle inning roles, but that those two key setup inning roles are not uh, shaping up 
the way I think a lot of people would like like to see them or not uh, building a lot of confidence right now. Uh, I do think that Simber is going to be good. I think a lot of people have been ragging on him kind of unnecessarily. I know I understand he wasn't good when he got to Cleveland, but I think he is a good pitcher and will be and, and will be in the long run. So we'll see how that works out. Oliver Perez. Uh, was great last year, but I still don't see how you can expect him to be anything more than a, a pretty good lefty matchup guy. And you cannot expect him to be the dominant force he was last year, where he was uh, a late-inning quality reliever. But again, at his age and and uh, where he is in his career, uh, he's been a matchup lefty almost all his career, and I don't think it's I think it's unreasonable to expect anything more from of that uh than that from him because uh like i said he's at a point in his career where even if he has a good year uh you can't uh accept expect that to be the norm moving forward so very surprised um with the bullpen cuts i think is what i'm trying to get to uh justin uh go to you next what were your thoughts on the on some of these cuts i thought for sure, with the injury to Lindor, we would see Flaherty for a couple days. So I'm going to take it as a sign that uh, Lindor is not going to be out long if Flaherty's being cut. So maybe that means what Eric Stamets is the shortstop if Lindor misses a few days early in the season. Uh, the reliever thing, yeah, the, the reliever thing is really interesting because, like, I know John Edwards had a great camp and I know they really like him, but he's got options. So I kind of figured they'd option the triple A to start and have one of the non-roster invitees make the roster initially to kind of build some depth to see if one of them could stick throughout the year and, and then call up Edwards if somebody else gets injured or falters because you figure what hand Simber, Olsen, Perez, and Otero um, and Ramirez all had to make it because of contracts or options. That left one spot open. So I figured one of the non-roster guys was going to make it once they determined that Ramirez was going to stay. And uh, I, maybe, maybe that's also a sign they really like Tyler Clippert. I'm not really sure. I, I always felt like Tyler Clippert had the best chance out of all those guys. I was never really into Alex Wilson. I thought what Corey said about Justin Graham, is he close to being what he could at what he was in 2016? Because, I mean, geez, was on a World Series roster. That means you're – pretty good, although Michael Martinez is on a World Series roster, so I guess we're not really sure about that. Um, I, re- I really thought he had a chance, though. So I'm really surprised that none of the non-roster invites made it, but I'm really curious to see when Tyler Clifford gets healthy, how long they hang on to him and if he gets called up, because it looks like John Edwards is filling the very last bullpen role, and they seem to like him. So if they hang on to Clifford and he gets healthy in like late April – whose spot does he take because they like Edwards and the rest of the guys are kind of locked in based on contracts and lack of options. So I really don't know where he fits in, but I know they probably like him enough. And I thought he was the best option to fill a role too until he got hurt. Right. Yeah. And I think that when I saw that all these guys got cut, I thought the first thing I thought of was, wow, this is, this is like, a big time endorsement of John Edwards. And we know that coming out of last season, Terry Francona spoke highly of him coming out of last year when he was a September call up. And when he was uh, invited back, when he was invited back to camp again this year, we just had a feeling that, uh, 
you know, maybe he was going to get a shot based on uh, what uh, Francona saw in him last year. And I think that the fact that they cut these guys, uh, well, it's not so soon in camp, but uh, with more than a week left in camp, I think really says, speaks to how much they believe in John Edwards' abilities. and his, Because he does have good stuff. I, I've seen him pitch in the minors, and, you know, he's got uh, a mid to upper 90s fastball, and, you know, he's got the stuff to, to possibly be a uh, uh, effective reliever, but it's just a matter of him actually doing it because he's yet to do it on a consistent basis in the majors. So we'll see, but... Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised to see none of those guys make it, but I, at the same time, I am not surprised because I know how much they like John Edwards and how much Terry Francona likes John Edwards. So, yeah, we'll just see how that all shapes out and then see when, if and when Clippard comes back, how he fits in. The outfield situation is interesting, too, because as uh, I uh, noted in the uh, outline here, we had some... Uh, Minor league, uh, minor league guys optioned down to uh, AAA and, and other affiliates. Uh, Oscar Mercado might have been the most notable one because a lot of people were talking about how great his spring was, which it was really good. And they were talking about him and his and his abilities and what he's done since uh, – since being traded and, you know, he wasn't great in Columbus last year. A lot of back and forth saying, like, you know, does he deserve to be on the opening day roster? Does he need more seasoning in AAA regardless of what his spring numbers say? Um, I think that giving him a little more seasoning isn't a bad idea, but I can certainly understand why the Indians themselves said that they were had discussed uh, carrying him on the opening day roster. So, you know, guys like Mercado uh, – a bu- Mercado and a bunch of pitchers, Shiwei, uh, uh, Hu, uh, Adam Pletko, Henry Martinez, Cody Anderson, Jeffrey Rodriguez, and then also Yu Chang kind of effectively ending the uh, shortstop debate there. Uh, all optioned down the ma- uh, minor league camp uh, within the last couple weeks. So let's stick to the outfield, though, because the outfield, as I see it right now, it's Leonis Martin, Greg Allen, Jordan Luplo, Jake Bowers, Cargo and uh, Trace Thompson, who is having a really good camp, but hasn't done much the last couple of years. But they didn't seem to be uh, holding on to him, holding out hope for him. So we'll see. But uh, do you guys think, uh, first of all, did Oscar Mercado uh, need to be sent down to a minor league camp? Should he have been considered for a a uh, opening day roster spot? Or, um, and then also the rest of this outfield. How do you think this outfield is shaping up? Uh, I'll go to you first, Justin. I think it sounds like they really like Trace Thompson. It sounds like Frank Conner really likes him. So I'm kind of curious how that turns out. But I don't really, really know. He's had a good spring. Um, I I thought Mercedes Mercado back made sense just because he didn't have a whole lot of time in AAA. And if you look at Baseball Reference has the opponent quality score on there, so you can see the quality of pitching or, or opposition they're facing. And Mercado's score was something along the lines of like an 8 or a 7. Or I think it was a low 7. An 8 is AAA and 10 is major league level. Obviously, you're never going to play 10. Like You're never going to face all major league pitchers as a hitter because there's so many guys in camp building up arm strength. 
but obviously he was not facing a whole lot of major league quality arms in spring training based on his score. So I think they realized he was not, maybe he didn't have the experience to get high quality pitching to be ready for opening day, which I think is fair. The rest of them, I don't know. I mean, that choice is awful. Um, yeah, we haven't seen Carlos Gonzalez yet. I don't know how soon we'll see him. I, I would argue I was kind of surprised that we didn't see Matt Joyce make the team. I kind of figured when they signed him, he was going to make it just to see. But obviously when they got Carlos Gonzalez to agree to minor league deal and his numbers tanked in spring even, it was time to move on. My only real question with the outfield is, like, you know, Tyler Naquin's not having a great spring. And they're all statistics. You can look at statistics any way you want. I don't really know how to judge them in spring training. But who who are all these signings affect? Like Francona said yesterday, if Amy Ramirez makes the roster, it affects the outfield, which means Jake Bowers essentially has to be your opening day left fielder, Martin in center. So what, is Greg Allen your right fielder? Is he your fourth outfielder? Where does Carlos Gonzalez, you know, fit into the picture at that point? Like who 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 is affected the most by the Gonzalez and Hamley Ramirez roster spots? Because I think that obviously we know Bowers would play left if Hanley makes it, but what does the outfield look like if he doesn't? Does Bowers still play left field a lot? And who who gets left out when Gonzalez comes out? Because you probably have Naquin making it. Luplo has not had a great spring, but he's looked better recently. But he's got options too. So you could theoretically send him down. I just don't know what you do with Naquin. Greg Allen's had a great spring. He deserves to play more, I think, but who who ends up being the odd man out here? And it's not like we're talking about, you know, Christian Yelich and, and Lorenzo Cain and Ryan Braun or the, the Brewers out there. We're talking about guys that are probably role players at the best having to get five games a week for this outfield. But I just don't know who they play over who when Gonzalez gets here, if he gets here, and who goes back to AAA and, and what happens if Hanley makes the team. I just don't know who's affected the most because it's such a weird – mishmash of guys that are just kind of misfit toys for lack of a better term. It seems to me like the Indians are a team with their outfield that they have so many options. And at the same time, they have almost no options. I mean, you got guys like uh, Bowers, Allen and Luplo who have some decent upside, but then, you know, you throw in Leonis Martin, who is who he is a solid player, but he's not, his upside isn't going any, higher at this point. Carlos Gonzalez is on the uh, downslope of his career. And Trace Thompson, I mean, I don't know what to make of, of his presence in camp, really. And uh, and then Tyler Naquin, who nobody seems to be able to figure out. I mean, there's is he, you know, former first-round pick? He's had his moments, but overall has not lived up to the expectations that set uh, before him. But so I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I think Martin makes the team uh, by default. Bowers makes the team by default. And beyond that, I, I, th- I see maybe Greg Allen, you know, either as the uh, a platoon center fielder with, uh, with Martin as well as the fourth outfielder. And then you also have, you know, where does Cargo fit in? Where does Naquin fit in? Um, those Cargo and Naquin and Luplo, I think, are all the uh, – are, are the most interesting candidates for this outfield and the ones who may be in most in danger of not getting an, an opening day spot because I think that uh, Martin Allen and Bowers 
uh, pretty much have their spots locked at this point. Uh, I think I could definitely see Luplo opening up in AAA, and it wouldn't uh, bother me so much to see that because he could always use a little more seasoning and maybe uh, see how the season shapes out the first couple of months and then bring him up then. It's always good to have depth, but, you know, there's talk of maybe some fans are talking about uh, – you know, does Loyalis Martin still deserve a spot in this team, even though, you know, he all the trials he went through last year? Uh, should Greg Allen be the everyday center fielder? It's a, There's a lot of dynamics going on with this outfield right now. Corey, I know uh, – sorry, I've been uh, droning on here. I want to get your take on this too. The, the outfield situation seems to me like – I don't know. It's there's a, There's a lot of question marks still – uh, even a little over a week away from the season starting, we don't we don't know what we're looking at right here, right now. Is it possible that Leonis Martin is the biggest plug in this logjam? It's I I you know people have discussed it. I hate to say it about a guy. It's hard to speak ill of a guy who you know almost uh, was not with us anymore last year, and you know he's worked his tail off to get back to the point where he's actually back playing baseball again and can still be a factor on a major league team. So it's so hard to, uh, to speak of him in that sense. But you know what? And being a, as big a Greg Allen fan as I am, as I know you are, Corey, I think that um, he deserves every right to be the everyday center fielder. He was great down the stretch last year. He's a great, def- probably one of the best defensive center fielder options out there. I mean, I mean, I know that Leonis Martin's a really good defender as well, but uh, – I think that uh, if it weren't for Martin and uh, him, me trying to s- give him a chance just out of uh, sentimentality, I think that I would say that Greg Allen deserves the chance to be the starting center fielder. Definitely. I understand that. I understand that. To echo your sentiment about Leonis Martin, I'm not going to speak ill of his situation. I would never try to do that. Um, also, we have to factor in Bradley Zimmer coming back sooner rather than later, it seems like. Now, all reports have been pretty positive around him. Um, if that's what happens sooner rather than later, your outfield's likely going to be Bowers, Martin, Zimmer, right? Uh, that's what I would be thinking. And then you have options like Cargo, Naquin, Allen, Luplo, and Mercado. You have five other guys. You, you have the, my issue with the outfielder right now is there's a lot of players that can play in the outfield. There are a lot of options that can play in the outfield, but I think this echoes how big losing Michael Brantley is. And I'm not going to harp on this topic too much, but when you lose a guy that's as solid and as consistent and when he's healthy, 300 hitter, 20 home runs. I mean, you're missing a solid all-star player. That's just gone. And you have to, I'm not saying you have to replace him, but you have to find ways to work around the impact that he left, not only in that lineup, but also defensively in the outfield. That was an everyday piece that was out there when he was healthy. And it wasn't a, well, he can platoon certain days and sit certain days. No, he was out there, if possible, not accounting rest, 162 games. So when I think of the outfield, we talked about Jake Bowers as a potential left field slash first baseman. We've talked about just about Carlos Santana's potential having uh, having the potential rather to play in the outfield in some capacity. Jason Kipnis was named the starting second baseman, but we know that Terry Francona is not going to shy away from moving him out to the outfield. So 
there's just so many options right now for the Indians. And quite honestly, I don't see where the confidence is in Trace Thompson or right now in Jordan Luplo, for that matter. Uh, Luplo is a is a career uh, is batting below 200 for his career, I should say. But he's batting below the Mendoza line. Um, and Trace Thompson, he's a career uh, 236 hitter in the minors and 206 in the majors. And that that accounts for his 44 games in 2015 with the White Sox, where he hit 295. So I don't know what the fascination is with Trace Thompson. I'm, I'm looking at the other minor leaguers. You consider Oscar Mercado one of those guys. And I think sending Mercado to Columbus is the right idea for now. But he's, you know, health aside from everybody else, he's probably the third best outfielder in between the two levels right now. Am I crazy to think that? Or is that kind of a um, rubbing off from the spring training he had? Because he can steal bases. He plays a good center field. He hits for a solid average. He's got great speed. I think he's a very talented baseball player, and you can't keep him shelved in the minors for the whole season. He's got to get at at bats. I understand that. But I think at some point this season he's going to be in Cleveland, and rightfully so. And I think that when you mentioned Jake Bowers playing at first base, I think that this is another reason why I don't see Hanley Ramirez making the team is because they have so many options in the outfield. And before Hanley came in, the the plan was for – and Bowers said himself he wants to play at first base. Uh, I think the plan is to have him at first base and Santana DHing and maybe have them switch back and forth a little bit there and maybe even put Bowers in the outfield uh, when when it's uh, convenient. But – I think that having Hanley not make the team could also clear up things in that uh, you have Bowers as the everyday first baseman or the everyday DH, however they see it. That clears up a spot in the outfield, and then maybe you're going with uh, Martin Allen, uh, Luplo, or Martin Allen, or Martin Allen, uh, uh, Cargo, whatever combination you want to throw out there. I just think that. Um, Another reason why I don't think Hanley Ramirez makes a lot of sense for the Indians right now is because of how it, as you mentioned, how it impacts the outfield. And I think that it, the Indians might be better off if they were able to play Bowers at first base or, or DH more often than uh, having him in the outfield right now. I mean, it, it degrades the, the value of the outfield and the production in the outfield because Bowers uh, has more major league experience and more major league success, but... Uh, I think that as far as roster flexibility, it's the best option that uh, you can put out there. And that I want to ask you before we move on: What do you think the uh, future? What do you think the outfield is going to look like? Say, like at the end of this, at the end of this season, are we going to see uh, Mercado in the outfield? Are we going to see Luplo in the outfield? Is is Martin still going to be here? Is Cargo still going to be here? It's. What do you guys think about that, Justin? I'll go to you. Well, that's a good question. I think we'll see Mercado at some point. I think we're going to still see Greg Allen. And then it's going to turn into, okay, how is Naquin playing? How is Luplo playing? Because I I think ideally they wanted to have a platoon of Luplo and Naquin in right field. I think that was like their best plan was to have that work out in right field and kind of replace Geyer and Chismhall over there because Luplo's had a good track record against lefties in the minors. He's also not a veteran, so it's hard for him to sit every day when he doesn't have a whole lot of experience against major league pitching. So, I don't know. I think maybe they wanted to play Luplo and left. 
I really don't know. I think the only two <laughs> it's hard to sit here and think that this is a playoff team and the outfield at the end of the year could be Greg Gallon, Leonis Martin, Carlos Gonzalez and and I don't know. I mean that's that's I think that's the only Mercado, Greg Allen, Carlos Gonzalez, and Oscar Mercado. That's that's my guess right now internally. I, you would think they would look for some uh, external options around the deadline, but they haven't really done well with that in years past. I mean, obviously it's not Martin's fault what happened, but even before that, they needed outfield help more. They get they got Coco Crisp, who was big in the playoffs, but wasn't a huge addition. So, and of course, there's no more waiver trades either. So you have to get someone before the waiver deadline now, before the trading deadline now. So I don't know. If you're asking me internally, I'm going to say the outfield is going to be Greg Allen, Oscar Mercado, and Leonis Martin, and maybe Car- if Carlos Gonzalez works out, I guess him. If not, I guess he's the most replaceable spot. And this doesn't obviously say anything about where, where Tyler Naquin is and where Jordan Luplo is at this point either. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Corey? How appropriate. You're asking for a Final Four. In March. Um, <laughs> at the end of the season, the four outfielders on the Indians roster, if we're doing four, the four outfielders on the Indians roster will be Jake Bowers, Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado, and Leonis Martin. I truly believe that. And I think Martin would slide out as that fourth outfielder. Um, I see Zimmer maintaining his position in center field. And I, Mercado, I just feel like he's too good to just keep in AAA all season. I think he's shown the ability in tri- in spring training. I think he's shown the ability as a minor leaguer. And I think he's shown the ability to not just play the outfield. I think he's shown the ability to impact the lineup in different ways. You can hit him at that top or that bottom of the lineup. And look, I'm not trying to knock out Greg Allen or Tyler Naquin intentionally, but they've had plenty of chances to prove something. And Allen has done so defensively very, very well, but you can't just have one-trick ponies in this league anymore. You have to have guys that can do both, they can, that can hit and that can play defense. So if you're asking for four, if you, held a, if, you, if you held me down to it, I think Bowers is a lock. Zimmer, once he comes back, assuming he's fine and assuming he comes back and maintains his, his usual status and his usual form, I think he'll be fine. And then... You know, I don't want to say flip a coin, but Mercado, Martin, Cargo, how does he pan out? I think it's kind of down to those three. I don't want to say Daquan and Allen are out, but it's really hard to not envision them as the fourth, either of them as the fourth best outfielder option right now. I tell you what, I, I for one, am excited about Mercado because I did the uh, uh, prospect countdown profile on him and just digging into the numbers and basically how he came around to being going from a struggling shortstop to a plus defender in the outfield uh, in center field is really remarkable. And then seeing how his game really took off once he got to the outfield, you know, kind of a la Lonnie Chisenhall. It, it's, it's really something, uh, really something and great to see. And, you know, a lot of people are start starting to uh, realize what Mercado is all about after his spring here. I know a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, advanced stats guys are really high on Mercado, and for good reason. And I think that he does have a future. I think that. Well, let me let me, let me throw this at you guys. What do you think about uh, maybe a Mercado uh, 
Zimmer and Daniel Johnson future outfield because those three guys, if they are playing well, those are that that's a pretty dynamic outfield. Or maybe even put in Bowers out there if you if Zimmer doesn't pan out. Uh, that's a, that that's a pretty good outfield. So it seems like they have some future options. It's just a matter of how they're going to put things together this season. Um, let's move on and talk about some of the injuries, though. Uh, just to give a quick update. We have Jason Kipnis undergoing an MRI for right calf tightness after he left the game on uh, on Wednesday, and with uh, that tightness, it doesn't appear to be serious. But you know, whenever an MRI is involved, you always want to. Hold your breath a little bit. Francisco Lindor, on the other hand, is making progress in his recovery from his calf strain. He's up to near 100% uh, act running activity in, in the games he's played in, but uh, his opening day status is still questionable. Really quick, you guys, what are your thoughts on uh, Lindor tr- trying to push, uh, or the Indians maybe even trying to push Lindor to get ready for opening day? Is this the right move, or should they be... Uh, more uh, conservative with their uh, recovery approach and try to make sure that he's 110% ready to play again by the time he's ready. I mean, I think the answer is pretty obvious, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Uh, Corey? I'd be conservative. I'd be very conservative, actually. Um, Starting the season in Minnesota, I'm not saying it's going to snow, but if it's 35 degrees and snowing and my stud shortstop has a bad calf that he's going to twisted turn and cut on, then no, I don't want to risk him out there. If you look at the Indian schedule in April, it's so favorable. It's very favorable. They face two playoff teams in the whole month, and it's not till the end of the month. It's the Braves and the Astros. They have a four-game series in Houston the last week of April. Um, I really do believe that this should be something taken not just very seriously, but it's something that they should take their time with. And I don't see any sense of urgency to bring him back until May, quite honestly. Sense of urgency meaning they don't have to face Boston, Houston, New York, or the Dodgers, or anything significant like that right away. Um, Even just for the Minnesota series, save him for the home opener. I wouldn't try to rush him back into anything. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Justin, I'm assuming that we're uh, all in agreement on this. Yeah, I, I'm really concerned. I mean, I know he's, you can't compare it to Lonnie Chisholm Hall because he's a different athlete and he's younger. It's just, in the cold weather, you rush, guy, rush guys back like that. The worst thing that could happen is for him to play a couple of games in April and then a couple of games in, you know, he re-aggravates and he spends a month on the DL. These have just been super tricky injuries. I would rather see him make his debut on, like, Easter weekend at the end of April and play in 145 plus games and have to forget about this injury rather than him come back and the season opener and then be done for another month because he re-aggravated it. Yeah, I, I totally agree that there's no reason to bring him back for opening day. I know it's going to make the fans feel better to see Lindor in that lineup when opening day rolls around, but as the old saying goes, you don't win pennants in April. So, there's no reason to bring him. Try to bring him back. Um, you got to make sure he's fully ready and 100%. There's no risk of, or as little risk of him re-injuring that calf as possible, especially when that with in the cold weather. I would sit him, keep him in Arizona for a week, and then maybe send him on a brief minor league rehab assignment, and then bring him back maybe uh, the second or third week of the season. So. 
that would that would be me, and hopefully the Indians have a similar mindset. I mean, he has he did say he had a quote, I think today or yesterday, talking about how he's raring to get back, but he's going to listen to the trainers and make sure that uh, they give the okay before uh, he decides he's ready to come back. So um, that that's good to hear, and uh, hopefully the Indians do take that conservative approach with him. So uh, why well, we're coming to rehabbing, by the way? Can we? Can we talk about Jason Kittness getting hurt like twice again this spring? He had the hip injury, and now that now he's got a calf problem. How can the Indians go into the season and think he's going to be uh, second baseman who's going to play 140 games or more? I mean, the way things have gone the last two years for him. How do they do? They have it. Do you think they have a contingency plan if he goes down? Like Yu Chang played second base in a minor league game the other day, but he hasn't done it a lot. Like, how, how do they get him back this year, and how do they expect that he's going to be? their everyday second baseman, and then hope that, what, Max Moroff can play second base when he's down if, if he needs a day off? Like, I almost feel like you have to have planned days off with Jason Kittness at this point because of his injury history where you just have to, like, assume he's only going to play 120 games and try to keep him as fresh as possible. I don't know how they expect more than that. Right. It's – I don't know. Jason Kipnis is such an interesting case because, you know, I think – uh, who was it, Zach Meisel, who did a piece on Kipnis for The Athletic about uh, Kipnis being close to the end, probably, of, of his tenure in Cleveland. And, you know, he talked about being on being up and down throughout his career, being, you know, an all-star, and then being the, the uh, team's whipping boy for the fans. And uh, it's been an up-and-down career, and he's hoping to finish on a high note here. But, yeah... He can only do so much. He can only do as much as his body lets him at this point. So I think it's, there's definitely reason for concern right now, uh, which is why I'm a little antsy to find out these MRI results because I want to know if he's he's gonna have to miss time too. That could be potentially two starting infielders uh, on the shelf for the tribe to start the year, which I would think would mean we'll see Yu Chang. Uh, since they already cut Ryan Flaherty, I mean, maybe they'll re-sign Flaherty again. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I'll I won't feel as good until I hear that Jason Kipnis is going to be all right, and it's only a day-to-day thing. But uh, I mean, yeah, that, why not have Chang on the roster? Why not have him spell Kipnis because he clearly can't play a full season, and then give yourself a contingency plan for Lindor, give him days off if he recovers. That way, you Chang's on your roster, and he's your better option than. Ryan Flaherty, and you're giving yourself built-in off days with Lindor and Kipnis because of early season injuries. These are days when I miss Yandy Diaz. Oh no, here we go. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing about why he, he wasn't given the proper chance, but he he would have been uh, the perfect fit in this situation, you know, put him at third base and then move Ramirez over to second. I mean, I guess you can do the same thing with Chang, but, uh, and I would like to see Chang get a shot, but I just would have liked to have seen Yandy Diaz still in Cleveland, but hey, you know what? We'll see what Jake Bowers can bring to the table because I do like him as well. Uh, before we get to our previews, though, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this is something we kind of discussed at length in last week, or our, not last week, our last episode. Uh, the Dolan came out this week and talked uh, to the media about how they 
how the payroll situation has shaped up and how essentially they claim they've been losing money the last couple of years because uh, attendance has not gone up to the point where they can uh, justify having a, a big payroll. So they've had to cut payroll this off season. They said it's simply because they need to try to recoup some of those uh, losses that they've had. Uh, and then Justin shared with me an article in Cranes Cleveland by Kevin Kleps who really did a deep dive into the payroll situation as deep as he could because the financials for the team obviously are not publicly available. And in essence, the article goes through and says how, you know, we don't know all the details, but there's probably uh, some some uh, re- some real logic and some uh, reality behind uh, the Dolan's claims because of how attendance figures have barely moved the last few years, even though the uh, payroll has gone up exponentially, and you know now they've had to they've had to cut payroll and be, get more creative with how to add talent. You know, some of the some of the uh, methods may be questionable, but the team has gotten a little bit younger. They brought in some younger talent, like, say, a Jake Bowers or a Jordan Luplo or Max Moroff. Um, now it's – and then they're also looking from within. For, now that they traded Gon Gomes, it gives a guy like Eric Haas a chance to prove himself. And, you know, we might see Eric Stamets or maybe even Yu Chang at some point. Uh, the team's trying to get younger. They're trying to prepare for the future. They're bringing in some assets. Uh, what do you – what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. I know Justin read it. Corey, I don't know if you saw this article or not. But uh, what are your thoughts kind of going off of what we talked about last time about the payroll? And, Corey, I know you had some uh, clear thoughts about it. Uh, the, the Dolans coming out and saying that they had to cut payroll because they were losing money. Uh, do you give any uh, credence to that? And if so, uh, what do you think about uh, the team's financial situation now and how they're looking to stay competitive? I mean, right now it's tricky because I understand. I heard the I heard the story. I heard the concept, and I I understand what the Dolans are saying and their logic behind it. But at the same time, I know it's spent. You got to spend money to make money, and they paid a price to get the All Star Game into Cleveland. And yeah, attendance has been an issue that is never going to go away. It seems like since 2012, even when the Indians stunk. Attendance has been an issue, and now that they're actual contenders and they've recently been to a World Series, why is this still a thing? Why is um, attendance still an issue when the Dolans have put a winning club on the field? They've put uh, literally a World Series team on the field the last now three seasons. So how much stake do we really need to put into the fans and the attendance anymore? Is it is it mostly that, or is it really just about the Indians' payroll? It, it, it them reflecting being a mid market team, and I hate using that expression and trying to pit the Indians at that, but it's almost difficult to look at anything else other than the fact that fans haven't showed up in droves like you would expect for a contender, and then simply because. They're a mid-market team that's spending a lot of money, and they've went for it. And you have to give them credit for 2016 and 2017 for going for it. And while, yeah, I'm among the people that was critical of the Dolans and the Indians not breaking bank again this offseason and for shedding payroll, but now I kind of understand it. Um, you got to 
you got to have your numbers and you got to do your books at the end of the day. And if they're not making it out, then yeah, maybe you do shed some salary. I understand it now. I have a better understanding of it, but the source of it, I feel like it's, it's multidimensional and there's a lot of different ways to look at why they need to be, why they need to do what they're doing right now. Uh, Justin, as someone who else who read that, uh, Crane's article, what did you uh, take away from the Dolan's comments and then digging deeper into the situation as uh, Kevin Kleps did? There's always going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be people that think that they know the number. I mean, again, none of us know the actual numbers. All we can go by is, you know, baseball telling us this is what our TV contracts are. We know what the Indians TV contract is. And, the, and the, the biggest thing with them is their TV contract is bad. If you want to blame the Dolans for anything, it's for getting a bad TV deal. And, and admittedly, this was, five, this was five years ago, six years ago at this point. I 100% know, they, they created, agree with that. Yeah, they, they, they started Sportsdom Ohio because they wanted to have their own network and make the money that way, the way the Yankees did with the Yes Network. They didn't make the kind of money on it they thought they were going to, so they sold it back to Fox. You know, nine years later, it's hard to predict the future, but these are businessmen. They, they should be able to have better financial forecasts for the future, I guess, than, than the common person would or understand the future a little bit better. And they didn't. So right now, the Indian TV contract pays them $40 million a year. Right now, the Rays contract pays them $40 million a year, and the Indians have one of the best TV ratings in baseball. And that's, that, it doesn't affect what they're – the TV contract is where they can't capitalize on it because they're locked into this TV contract until 2027. So they're stuck getting, I know 40 million a year seems, doesn't seem like a lot, or it does seem like a lot to all of us. But you know, when the, when the Tampa Bay freaking raise are getting $80 million a year and the Indians are getting half that for the next eight years, it doesn't sound great. So I understand why they're people, they're not making as much money as the, People say that rev or that attendance isn't the driver of revenue, and it isn't the reason teams do or don't spend. But when you're a team like the Indians, if if you're not drawing two million fans a game, where's your money coming from? Like the report from Major League Baseball or from other sites was that the uh, Major League Baseball's income was not sustainable. That a lot of the revenue coming into teams not just the Indians, wasn't from attendance. It was coming in from, you know, the sale of Mantech. It was coming in from other digital partners and sponsorships. And people said it's not sustainable. Okay, so the Indians obviously read that the, their main source of income is not attendance, and, it's, and the rest of the revenue they're getting outside of attendance is not sustainable. So they maybe feel like they can't afford to put out the payrolls they've been putting out. And I think people need to realize, too, that Forbes doesn't have – any better access to the numbers than we do. You know, they, they're not getting insider looks at anybody's books. There's no, there's no Green Bay Packers in Major League Baseball where everybody knows their finances. There's no, nobody in baseball knows any base, any, nobody, no fans, no media knows the baseball team's finances. So anybody who claims to know it is just doing a lot of good guesswork based on what's reported. So everybody disputes those Forbes figures every year. And I think the other thing a lot of fans get caught up in is people say that, okay, well, the Indians are worth a billion dollars. Okay, well, that's great, but you can't 
just because they're worth that, that doesn't mean they can spend it. Like there's not a, there's no revenue coming into you based on what they're worth. That's only the worth that they sell, sell or uh, excuse me, sell the team. You can't, you can't spend money based on the worth of your team unless you sell it. That's the way that money ever gets to you. So I think people confuse a lot of where the revenue comes from. Now I'm not like Corey said. I'm not. I'm not excusing their offseason cutting payroll in the middle of this window where you have the best starting rotation in baseball and you have Lindor and Ramirez. I'm not excusing them to this offseason, but I also believe they're not making – I don't know if I believe they're losing money. Maybe. Maybe they're losing money on the team, but they're not losing money as a family, as a trust. Maybe the team's not making money if you just can consider the dollars they're putting into it. I can believe that. But I'm not – going to kill them over their, their explanation of everything because I just don't think we know enough. I don't think we know the truth, and it's hard for me to sit here and say that when nobody really has a clear idea. But again, I'm not excusing the offseason they had, but I do have a better understanding of it, I think, based on what Kevin wrote. Now, I'll say this. Kevin, anybody who doesn't know Kevin Klux is he is as knowledgeable on sports business as anybody in Cleveland and has as many connections to people who work in the executives offices and front offices and sports around here. So I would trust him more before I trust any common fan saying, Oh, they have the money. Send it. Right. And I would encourage anybody to read that article. Um, it's uh, on cranes, Cleveland, and it, it was recently posted in the uh, aftermath of those comments made by the Dolans. Cause he, Kevin tried to clarify and qualify those comments and try to uh, shed some more light on them. So I, uh, encourage anybody to uh, go and find that piece and read it, read up on it. So, uh, all right. So, as not to end the show on a somber note here, let's get into our 2019 prediction predictions for the uh, season for the tribe and, and lock them in. Uh, we will be doing our official IBI roundtable coming up here pretty soon and uh, making our not just our predictions for the Indians but for the rest of the major leagues for the season always a fun time so stay tuned for that but for now let's just talk about the indians and uh i want to before we get to our uh record and playoff predictions uh i wanted to ask you guys who do you think will be the driving force of the indians this year so Corey, i'll start with you i think it has to be the starting pitching staff no i mean you have I, I was talking to Marty Gitlin, who covered the Indians back in the 90s and um, used to report for the News Herald and is well-renowned in Northeast Ohio. And he made a good point about the Indians' rotation. And the Indians might have the best starting pitchers, the five best starting pitchers in the American League Central. Not the best staff. Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber are the five best, most talented starting pitchers individually in the American League Central. I found that comment that he made very fascinating because I think he's right. If you have an elite rotation like this, think about it. Look at just Mike Clevenger's numbers from last season. He is a four on this rotation, in this rotation, I should say. And last year, a 5.1 war, 13 and 8, 302 ERA. 200 innings, 200 strikeouts, 115 whip. That's what a number two starter on just about any other roster, and that's our and that's Cleveland's four. This is the driving force of this ball club, and 
if you're an Indians fan and you're looking at this team and you're looking for positives and you're looking for, okay, what's going to carry us to the postseason? The answer is this rotation. Lindor and Ramirez, yes, they're great superstar talents, no question. But it boils down to Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, and Shane Beaver. It boils down to those guys. How good is that rotation? The answer is very good. How many all-stars are in that rotation? Potentially three. And if Clevenger breaks out even further like I think he can, it could be four. And that's scary to think. So I, I said you can't have too much pitching. The Indians have a surplus of it, and it benefits them greatly. All right, Justin, uh, to- totally agree with those points there. Justin, who do you see as the driving force behind this Indians club in 2019? Well, obviously starting pitching is going to be the main thing, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to say Trevor Bauer. I'm going to tell you now I'm, I'm picking Trevor Bauer when the Cy Young this year. I think he's going to be the Indians' best pitcher, and I absolutely agree with Corey. Except for Minnesota, maybe maybe Jose Barrios, but I think you could even make an argument for this only because he's done it for one year and Bieber only did it for half a year. You could argue that Shane Bieber would be the ace of every staff in the in the AL Central besides maybe Minnesota. That's uh, yeah, that's true, and I think that yeah, Barrios has a case to be one of the top pitchers in the in the AL Central, definitely. But I think it it doesn't diminish Corey's point at all about those these five pitchers not only being the best staff in the AL Central, but the best five individual pitchers in the division. I think that's not too far-fetched at all. So I agree with you. I think that both of you guys, I think that the starting pitching will once again uh, be the backbone of this team. And I'm, like Justin, I am uh, also making the bold prediction. Well, I don't even know if it's bold based on, I think that, uh, Bauer, if he had stayed healthy the rest of the season last year, I think he probably would have won the Cy Young Award last year. So I'm making the prediction that uh, he wins it this year just because I think that knowing he was that close and he had to uh, he, he had to concede the, a potential Cy Young Award because of an injury, I think that's really going to be a drive uh, – uh, that's really going to drive Bauer this year. And, you know, he's always looking to develop his his pitches, add a new ones, or uh, find ways to improve the ones he already has. So I think that I think that not just the starting rotation, but I think actually the back three pitchers of the starting rotation are what are really going to stand out and drive the Indians this year. Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco are going to be good, but I think that they're pretty well established at this point that they're going to do about what the same of what they usually do and not much beyond that. I think that we're really going to see some kind of uh, some kind of uh, improvement and significant improvement from Bauer, uh, Mike Clevenger, and Shane Bieber. I heard that Shane Bieber is working on working on his changeup and wants to. Uh, Make his game more effective, make his pitching more effective that way. And I think Clevenger's ceiling can only is the only way up, way is up for him. And you know we all know what Bauer is capable of. So I think that the starting rotation is going to be the best, the best part of this team. But I also think that it's going to be not the not Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco, but really Clevenger, uh, Bauer, and uh, Bieber who are going to be the real uh, standouts in this rotation this year. So. Um, what do you guys think will surprise the fans this year? Who Who is on this roster who you have your eye on, or maybe somebody who isn't even on the roster right now but will be at some point this year? Who do you see as being a surprising uh, 
impactful player for the Indians in 2019. Uh, I'll go to you, this this time, Justin. I don't think it's a, well. I guess I'll be surprised at some. I, it's hard to predict him roster wise, um, but I'll probably say John Edwards. I think John Edwards winds up being uh, their new seventh eighth inning guy and has a pretty strong year. I, I, the Indians like him a lot, and they got to see him a little bit last year. I think he'll be the one that most fans will be like, "Who is this?" And they'll know his name, but they don't really know where he's from or what he can do. He's a little bit older, um, but I think he'll really become a trusted reliever by Francona. Uh, I, I can see that. I think that uh, Terry Francona's confidence in him will go a long way towards him getting a chance to really prove himself, and I could, I could definitely see it with the stuff he has. Uh, Corey, who's your biggest surprise for the year? Uh, kind of a dark horse here, Eric Haas. He may not be the backup catcher to start the season, but... I still feel like after the Indians trading Mejia and then letting go of Jan Gomes, that there's some confidence that this organization has in Eric Haas to be their future catcher, at least until Bo Naylor's ready. We could say that right now. Eric Haas has had 20-plus home run seasons in the minor leagues. He's caught two no-hitters. He did that last season with both Shea Bieber and Adam Plutko. Honestly, if you really think about it, you have a guy who has game manageability, just like Roberto Perez does. Definitely doesn't have the arm Robo does. Um, but I think Haas's bat is something that could carry him to the major league level. And I, I don't ever want to wish this, and I'm not doing so right now, but all it takes is one twisted ankle or a hit-by-pitch or something that Eric or, or that uh, Roberto Perez or Kevin Ploiecki, should Ploiecki be the backup, that they go through and Haas is going to have some point this season. I feel like where he's going to have to step up and catch a few games. And I think that if the Indians really feel as confident about Eric Haas as I believe they do, then he's going to get those chances. So he has the ability to do it. He has the, he has the confidence within the, within the organization seemingly. So I think he has a good shot at, I'm not saying breakout or, you know, coming out party by any stretch, but to prove that he is, that kind of depth option that the Indians have that confidence in and the fans can have confidence in too. Yeah, actually Haas was my second choice for biggest surprise this year. Um, I, for all the points you just mentioned, Corey, I think that uh, a lot of people don't know who Eric Haas is, but I think that they will by the season's end. Uh, my pick though is going to be one of the newcomers and that is Jake Bowers because I think that the Indians got somebody who could be, uh, a high upside kind of either outfielder or first baseman for them. I don't know what kind of uh, power potential or run producing potential he will show, but I think that he will show enough upside to uh, be able to warrant being a, uh, a starting caliber player for the long term in Cleveland. And just based on some of the uh, feedback I've heard from people whose opinions I, I respect after the uh, Indians traded for him, I think that the Indians may have gotten a good one here. And I think that Bowers is going to be the kind of guy who could really have an impact this year and uh, become a mainstay in that batting order. So I, I, my pick is Jake Bowers for uh, the most surprising uh, player of the year for the Indians. And now we get to the uh, who will be the biggest disappointment. And it's always tough to uh, predict that. Uh, at the start of the year because, you know, everybody, everything's all about upside and uh, and good news and who's going to 
who's going to be the uh, the star player, who's going to have a bit the big breakout year, that kind of thing. It's hard to predict who is not going to ha- have such a good year this time. But we're going we're gonna to try to do it anyway. So, uh, Corey, who is in camp right now, or in the minor leagues right now, who maybe has a lot of hype attached to him, but uh, will not quite live up to it? Well, that's like, that's a really loaded topic to think about. Um, it, it's hard to pit anybody as a disappointment or like, yeah, they're not going to do great. But maybe as expectations are really high. I talked about Eric Haas. Not to say Roberto Perez is going to have a bad year, but I don't know if what the adjustment process is going to be like for him now translating into a full-time catcher's position. I know he's played, you know, games. He's played quite a bit of the of the past few seasons as the backup to Jan Gomes. But now that he's going to get a full workload at age 30, nonetheless, his first starting catching job at age 30, and I'm not saying he's going to for sure have a bad year by any stretch but if he doesn't if he doesn't hit like we think he should or if or if he's off a little bit or maybe a couple of stolen bases are allowed here and there I don't want the fans to freak out over it I just don't know if Roberto Perez is going to live up to a lot of the expectations that are given to him and that's that yeah Jan Gomes is expendable right now because they have this guy and he was a great reserve catcher, certainly a great pitch framer, had a strong arm, but his bat never really came around. I mean, last year he hit a buck 68 in his career. He's hit 205. So I don't know if it's just that he has to step up at the plate, but if he has another season where he hits around 200, some fans might start to be concerned over that. Yeah, and I can understand that that kind of expectation because – you know, all of a sudden you're asking a guy who's pretty much been a backup his entire career and uh, expectations for him, at least offensively, have not been much higher than that of a uh, part-time catcher. And I'm, while, they, while we're not expecting him to be an all-star hitter at the plate, I do, I do think that, uh, that there is the potential for him not being the best starting caliber player while his defense may be great, and it is, but because when you put his offense, his bat in the lineup every day, I think that there's a chance for it being exposed and in a very negative way. So, uh, going over to Justin now, uh, just wanted to ask you what your uh, thoughts were on who might be the biggest disappointment for the Indians uh, coming up this year. Well, does it have to be someone who's got a lot of hype, or can I just say who I think is going to be disappointing? Because you you did say someone who's got some hype around them. Well, yeah, I think I, I think just overall who's going to be the biggest disappointment. Uh, not hard for me. I've never been a big fan of Tyler Naquin, and I, I, he hasn't stayed healthy. I know Francona kind of likes him, it seems like, and I know he did some stuff to work on his body to get better and get healthier and stronger, but I've never been a big fan of Tyler Naquin's game. And I just don't see him – I think the Carlos Gonzalez signing really affects him the most. So I just see him as not playing a big role in the team this year, and I kind of hope they're not counting on him to play one because I just don't see it. I never have in his games. Yeah, he hasn't been the same since that uh, rookie season. Even then, you could 
dig deeper into the numbers and probably see how there were some uh, smoke and mirrors involved with his early season success. And, you know, there's a lot of holes in his game. And, you know, he's had had trouble with certain pitches. And it really, uh, once teams adjusted to him down the stretch, he really started to struggle. And it really hasn't, I mean, I know he had some injuries too that uh, really ha- uh, hampered his game. But uh, I don't see him being part of the long-term future. In all honesty, I'm surprised he's still with the team. I thought that he might have been uh, a goner a while ago once guys like Zimmer and uh, Greg Allen started making their way up to Cleveland. and uh, But he's still around, and he still likely will make the uh, opening day roster for now. So, yeah, I can see that. My biggest – I don't know if I call it a disappointment. I just say based on what the expectations that people have. I'm going to say by season's end, we'll have long since forgotten about Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez because I think that – both of them are that that neither one of them are going to be uh, part of the team once the season ends, and I don't think that uh, at least one of them is not going to make the team out of camp. And by I think the other might get a shot uh, early on in the season, but I say within a month or two that that he's gone and uh, we'll be going with the internal options. Maybe try to trade for somebody at the deadline. Bottom line is I don't think. I don't think that fans will uh, remember will remember uh, Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez's tenure with the Tribe by the uh, by the end of the year. So, uh, who was the Indians opening day outfit for 2016? Can you guys recite that the, the three outfielders that started that opening day? 2016. That 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 was uh, was that the Colin Cowgill year? It was the Colin Cowgill year. So you it was Colin Cowgill, two- Tower Naquin, and. Uh, God, who else was that? Who, who else was out there? Was that uh, because Michael Rajay Brand- Davis? Oh, Rajay Davis. That's right. And, and Marlon Bird was on that team. Oh, that's right. Marlon Bird was the uh, it was... starting a miss. Marlon Bird. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, that, that's why your, your point is valid, Jake. Just for those reasons alone. Personally, I'm a fan of I, I I'm a fan of the Niger Morgan year starting outfield <laughs> i have a true story about niger borgen to tell i was sitting in the bleachers one game it was like i don't know 80 billion degrees outside on a sunday and niger borgen was playing center field and i was like in left center field enough to be able to yell at him in a nice way and you know how they play catch to warm up in between innings i yelled for a ball and he pointed at me threw it my way and airmailed it over my head into the tunnel. There's a concession stand. <laughs> and some That's other cool. kid got it. Thousand percent true story. Oh, man. I have the opposite story about, about uh, David DeLucci. David DeLucci did that to me in 2008, and he underthrew me because he had no arm at all. <laughs> Jim Tell me once overthrew my dad. That's also true. Oh, His man. arm was That's why I played first base. So yeah, basically, we you know we all get caught up in who's making the opening day roster, but wouldn't at the end of the season, who do we even care or remember who was starting on the team on opening day because it was it very often, especially in the case when you don't have a lot of uh of defined uh starters in one area of the team, it doesn't really uh well, however the opening day roster shapes up is not how it ends up at once uh, September and October roll around. So, again, we get all caught up in this, but it really 
in the long run has little bearing on how the roster will look by the end time uh, playoffs roll around. So uh, just bear that in mind when we're talking about how this roster uh, is going to uh, shape up and who's making the team and who isn't. Uh, Final predictions, though, for 2019 as far as the record and the playoffs go for the Tribe. Uh, Justin, I'll go to you. I'm going to go 90-72, and and playoffs, they're going to lose in the ALDS to Houston again. Same repeat as last year. All right. Um, I've got the – also got them going 90 and 72 and you can check that out in the uh, AL Central team previews. I see them going to the ALCS but losing to the Yankees. Corey? I make that 3, right around 90 wins, 90, 89, 91, whatever. And uh losing in the ALDS this time to Boston. I think they lose to Boston. Um I have the Red Sox winning the AL East. So that would mean the uh, Astros would get the one seed in my head. And the Yankees, I believe I had as the first wild card. I actually have the Yankees go to the World Series. So work that one out for yourself. Yeah, I have the Yankees going too. I think that they think that they made some uh, solid moves. They have a – man, they have a bullpen, let me tell you. Uh, and then I think that they go to the World Series, but uh, – I won't spoil who I think that they that they lose to, but I do think they lose in the World Series. Save it for the uh, IBI roundtable. Um, uh, check that out soon. Uh, final plugs, guys. Uh, what do we have to plug heading into 2019 here, Justin? Uh, well, you and I are still finishing the prospect capsule. That's going to come to an end in the next two weeks. I can't believe it. We're in our top uh, ten now. Yeah, we're in our top ten starting tomorrow. It's been quite a journey. Um, uh, let's see, we're going to have the round tables for major league and minor league teams. Uh, we're going to have, uh, team previews for all the minor league teams. So we're going to have, you know, roster predictions for the captains, the Clippers, the rubber ducks initially, as well as Lynchburg as well. So we're going to have all that coming up. Yeah. A lot of great stuff. Uh, watch out for those team, uh, uh, those player capsules, the prospect countdown. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying that. We've Justin and I have put a lot of hard work and thought into those. So uh, thanks for following, and I uh, hope you've been able to uh, enjoy them and uh, get get ready for the season and use them to uh, get well versed on who's the who, who the Indians' top prospects are. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of intrigue this year, and we're going to talk about it. Corey and I, and Justin as well. We're all going to get together again sometime next week for. Uh, uh, our first Farm Report podcast of the year f- to get a season preview for all the minor league affiliates as well as who's going to be where and what prospects to watch for. So get ready for that next week. I'm very excited to talk about uh, Indians minor leagues and the prospects because there's a lot going on this year, a lot of interesting names to watch for, a lot of new faces in the farm system uh, based on trades, based on recent drafts, and in- more uh, more the more so though the uh, international market. A lot of these international signings are going to start to make their way up into the affiliated ranks pretty soon here. So that's going to be exciting as well. Uh, Corey, uh, anything for you to plug? You stole my future plug. I was going to plug the Farm Report podcast that we're hitting next week to uh, preview the Indians minor league season. Um, other than that, I really don't have a, a plug. I, I've been freelancer for the vindicator in youngstown so been working with them 
uh, working on a restaurant series. So if you purchase every Wednesday's edition of the Youngstown Vindicator, you will find part of my Valley Deals series in there. And um, that's kind of a final thought. I wanted to say this. I know we're getting to final thoughts in a second here, but a, a big thank you goes out to Ichiro for years and years of excellence and just gratitude. And I have nothing but respect for one of the greatest players that baseball's ever seen, period. Cooperstown, he, he's going there. One of the greatest players to ever put on a baseball uniform, American, non-American. I'm, I'm so just, like, happy to see Ichiro go off on his own terms in that Japan series. That was so cool. Very cool indeed, yeah. I know it's, the time difference was unavoidable, but it was very cool to see that moment uh, in in the highlights the next day. Um Justin, since we're in the final thoughts, what are your, what do you want to leave our listeners with tonight? Uh, final thoughts, I really hope I'm, – I'm really interested to see what happens with the opening day starts because I still think Corey Kluber is the opening day starter until we hear otherwise. But the fact that the Indians have been kind of cagey about who's starting the season opener and how – I mean, I know it's the first turn through and things change and, you know, whatnot, but it's really weird that the Indians didn't come out and say, hey, Kluber is going to be the season opener and – you know, Frank Cohen had mentioned about wanting to put Bauer between Kluber and Carrasco to kind of maybe ease up on the bullpen a little bit early on if, if Kluber and Carrasco don't get deep into games and they, they feel like Bauer can pitch deeper and they want to avoid riding Kluber and Carrasco too hard early in the year because the bullpen's inexperienced. But it's been awfully weird that they've been so cagey about Kluber going into the season. There's still these trade rumors floating around, even though I don't really buy them, but I'm really curious to see how that plays out and how they line the rotation up. Yep. Uh, that is kind of interesting how they haven't come out and, and said that because you would think it would be just a given at this point, but they might be I, – I would think it's more of a strategic thing, just trying to get guys more rest, get the bullpen more rest, as you said, uh, maybe trying to maximize whoever their matchups are early on in the season, but – Kind of like the the whole who's making the open day roster thing. By the end of the season, it's not going to really matter who how the order of the rotation is uh, first couple times through in the in the season. So, uh, but yeah, it, I think that is kind of interesting, worth keeping an eye on. My final thought is just I want to send my and on behalf of everybody here at IBI, just deepest sympathies and to the uh, Tomy family on about uh, in regards to uh, the loss of Jim Tomy's father. Um, we want, we wish them all the best and our thoughts and prayers are with, are with him and with them. And I just want to say, I'm glad that he got this, was around to see the moment when his son got into the baseball hall of fame and much deserved. So just our thoughts and prayers and sympathies go out and condolences go out to the, uh, the Tomy family in this, uh, this tough time. So, uh, that's, uh. Pretty much all we have here today. I know we've gone a little long. Hopefully we should be able to trim these shows down once we get into the season, but we had a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'll be back here on a regular basis here coming up weekly. I think starting next week with the season starting. I, might, I don't see why not. Or maybe maybe we'll take a week off in between depending on what all there is to talk about. But uh, at any rate, we'll be back here on a regular basis throughout the season. Be sure to subscribe, uh, share with uh, friends who are your fellow uh, Indians fans who want to get uh, 
in-depth uh, talk about the Indians. We're here to uh, to share it and spread it around. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening and and subscribing and uh, sharing it with people around you. So uh, for also be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Corey's at CD Crimson. Justin's at JL underscore baseball. You can follow us and tweet at us with any baseball questions or anything you want to talk about. Uh, we certainly appreciate it, and we're happy to answer any uh, prospect or Indians-related questions as best as we can. So until next time, for Corey Christen and Justin Lada, for the Smoke Signals Podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.